Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Election Day is finally here, and across the country, voters have been engaged like never before. More than 97 million Americans have already cast their ballots, either by early voting or by absentee or mail-in voting, like here in Connecticut. And more are expected to turn out today. We want to hear from you. What was it like voting at your polling location in a pandemic this morning? Did you run into any issues? Was it pretty smooth? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we'll talk to a political scientist about what happens after polls close and the potential for legal challenges, especially in battleground states. And we'll hear from Connecticut Public Radio reporter Frankie Graziano about what he's seen at polling locations in Connecticut. First, Connecticut's chief elections official joins us on Zoom. Denise Merrill is the Connecticut Secretary of the State. Good morning. Good morning, Lucy. So we know that polls open in our state at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. I've already seen uh, several pictures from listeners all over the state. Long lines. What are you seeing and hearing? Uh, exactly that. In fact, I myself waited in line for about 10 minutes this morning in Hartford, and uh, I've never had to wait before. That's very interesting. So yes, people are excited to vote. That's clear. Uh, any interesting stories from local registrars about people who, who have shown who showed up much earlier than 6am? Yes. In fact, uh, we had a report of one lady who lined up at 4am just so she could be first in line. And I guess she was. <laughs> Now, we know that because we're people are voting in a pandemic, when they see the long lines uh, because of social distancing, uh, that it was to be expected. But when it comes to the time voters are waiting to uh, cast their ballot, what are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing that it it really is not as long as it looks uh, because, uh, as you say, they're standing six feet apart. I think, you know, at my polling place, there were maybe 25 people in line. But once you get in there, uh, it's really, certainly at my polling place and what everything we've heard, I think it's been helpful to have so many volunteers step forward. We had over 10,000 people uh, volunteered through our website uh, to help out at the polls. And boy, you sure saw it in evidence this morning. That's very helpful because there's lots of different things this year that you're going to see in the polling places. I mean, for example, you can only use the pencil or pen one time. So they are collecting them from you. Uh, you, They are giving you the sleeve that you usually get with your ballot is handed to you by someone who's behind a plexiglass plexiglass plate. Uh, Everyone has gloves on and masks on and so forth. So there are a lot of changes and it does look different. 
You can join us as we hear from Connecticut Secretary of the State Denise Merrill about Election Day, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Maybe this is your first election that you're voting in. Uh, again, we want to hear from you today about your experience. Uh, we started uh, the hour, uh, at the top of the hour, uh, Secretary of the State uh, Merrill, uh, playing a clip from a, a presser uh, that you did just yesterday about the record number of voters that have registered in our state. Uh, what's the latest? Uh, we're, it's uh, still happening. And of course, in Connecticut, we have election day registration. So you can still, if you missed all those deadlines, you can still register and vote today. But uh, as of now, we're o- up over 2.3 million voters. That's certainly a record high for Connecticut. Um, so it's very exciting. Many of them are first time voters, and many of them are between 18 and 24. And that's, that's also new. You mentioned same-day registration for someone who wants to go that route. It's not showing up at your polling location. Where could they register to vote today? Uh, At the registrar's office, and usually it's in town hall or city hall. Uh, You do not do this at the polling place, uh, and you vote right there when you register. So you can go in, you have to have proper identification, you register on the spot, and then you are allowed to vote right there at city hall. Lucia is calling in from Prospect. Lucia, welcome to the show. What was it like for you voting today? Lucia, can you hear us? Hi. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Lucia calling from Prospect. And um, how are you doing this morning? We're doing well. So what was it like voting today? So today it was very smooth. Um, You know, I drove through town, parked the car, the lines were organized. I uh, was in and out within about, it was about 15 minutes total with that. Mm. You mentioned the lines were organized. Uh, have in, in years past, have you seen the lines that you did today, Lucia? Um, yeah, the lines looked like the other years. Um, they did divide them into like two sections of, I think it was like A through um let's say M uh, one, and on one side uh, and then one on the other. So it, it was even more organized than the prior years. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for calling in today. Uh, John's calling in from Waterbury. John, what was it like for you? It was the same as every other year. There was no line uh, except for the masks and throwing the pencils away. It was I was in and out in probably less than five minutes. The lines were bigger at the banks this morning. Not the third of the month, people cashing their checks. <laughs> that's uh, thank you for that, uh, John. So, uh, Secretary of the State Merrill, that's good news. People said that it, they're going in and out pretty quickly. That's great news. That's what we want to hear, and I think it is because we have a lot more people uh, at the polls this year, thanks to a federal grant. So we were able to uh, send uh, millions of dollars literally out to the towns so that they could hire extra help this year. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677. We want to hear how Election Day uh, is looking up for you if you've chosen to vote in person. Earlier, uh, uh, Secretary Merrill, you mentioned some of the safety precautions that registrars have put in place. Wearing masks is part of that. And so remind us again, if someone shows up without a mask, what are the options to keep uh, people safe? Well, the first option is they will be offered a mask. They will be asked to go get their mask if they have one in the car. Uh, But if they still just 
insist they cannot wear a mask or will not wear a mask. Uh, they do have a constitutional right to vote, but we will not allow them to endanger anyone's health. So we would, uh, it's up to the moderator of that polling place, but there's several options. One of them is what we call curbside voting, where someone could bring the ballot out to them and they could fill it out outside and then and it would be taken back in for them. Uh, and then as a last resort, there might be a space where we can put them so they can fill it out away from other people. So we've, we've done everything we can to take every precaution, but also to allow every single person to vote. Have you heard of any issues uh, today, um, Secretary Merrill? Not really. Uh, we had a couple of polling places that were without power this morning. Uh, but bear in mind, we have something like 760 polling places in Connecticut. That's a lot of polling places. And I think several of them might have had problem with the windstorm yesterday. Uh, but really very few problems this year uh, so far. James is calling in from Stanford. James, uh, welcome to the show. What was it like for you this morning? Hi. Uh, yeah, so we, we showed up at about 7 a.m. Uh, outside, waited outside for about 30 minutes, um, and then waited inside for another 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour, um, and before we were able to get in and actually start voting. Is this a polling location that you've been to before, James? Uh, yeah. Um, my wife had gone there last year or two years ago and walked in, walked out. Uh, several people that were in line had talked about how they didn't even know the the voting place was this big because they had never walked in that far and been in line that long, and we just had to, you know, wind around through through the school hallways for a little while. So, James, uh, it's good that you're able to still vote, uh, but Secretary Merrill, you know, some people may not be able to wait a total of uh, one and a half hours. Uh, what would you advise people if they run into a line but they've got to get to work? Yeah, that's a real problem, those lines. I hate to hear about a line that long that takes you that long because, uh, uh, as I was saying, the, a lot of the lines are because people have to stand six feet apart. So uh, it sounds like they have a very large number of voters down in Stanford. I would, of course, advise, you know, come back at an easier time. Uh, usually the slow times are like late morning or mid-afternoon, uh, but a lot of people can't do that. So I'm afraid they just have to wait in line. You can join us 888-720-9677 as we hear from Connecticut Secretary of the State Denise Merrill here on Election Day. Now, you mentioned curbside uh, voting. What happens if uh, someone is in quarantine and they were planning to vote today and they can't leave their house? What are the options for them? Uh, there is something called an emergency ballot. Uh, they can designate someone. First of all, you have to download. There's an app, a special emergency application you download from our website. Uh, you designate someone to go get your ballot and bring it to you and, um, and sign up for it with that application. Uh, that's uh, what we always do with emergency ballots. For example, someone might go to the hospital today. You know, this would be at the last minute. And um, uh, alternatively, sometimes the clerks can send, if you can't find anyone to take your ballot down to town hall, they will send um, a law enforcement officer. But there are only a very few people that you're able to designate uh, as someone to go get your ballot. It has to be a family member or a caretaker. Uh, but of course, if you're in a hospital, uh, that can mean almost anyone in the hospital could for, uh, could perform that function for you. There's been so much uh, preparation and planning for this day. What's your biggest fear, Secretary Merrill? 
Uh, I guess it would be that there would be polling places that would break down. I mean, you know, you can never anticipate everything. I remember in 2018, uh, it was raining, you may recall. And a lot of the ballot machines, uh, the tabulators jammed because the ballots were wet. So I don't see anything like that today. I hope we can get ballots counted in a way that makes the public comfortable. I'm a little concerned that people are going to want to know right away what the results are. And I don't, I don't think it'll be a problem, but it will take a little longer this year. So I think, I hope everyone is patient. I hope we don't see any kind of disruption at any of the polling places. And, and believe me, we have not heard or seen anything like that, but we are on alert. And that would be, I think my biggest fear is that someone would, uh, try to disrupt things at a polling place. Uh, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Mm. When you say that we are on alert, uh, talk about some of uh, the the steps that local officials have taken. If there was a, a disruption, uh, you know, is it standard to have law enforcement at each polling place? It is not. I mean, unless they're there to direct traffic in some of the larger polling places, they do have law enforcement people making sure that everybody's, you know, that traffic is moving smoothly and that people are parking in the right place. Uh, traditionally, we have not ever had law enforcement at the polls. We, we every election day, uh, we, as the Secretary of State's office, works with the Election Enforcement Commission and the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. And uh, we are sure that we have, you know, we have everything under control. Things are reported to us through, we have a hotline that we uh, staff on election day. So anyone can call the hotline and report to us anything they think is going on that is untoward or at all threatening to people. We, we do not, we have many, many laws that uh, prevent anyone from intimidating a voter in any way, shape or form. And so uh, we're, we're ready for all that. We've done an enormous amount of planning and communication I mean, something we haven't talked about is the whole cybersecurity situation. Um, and that is something um, I have worried about in previous years. We're much better prepared than we were in 2016 for anything um, like that happening. We were uh, attacked, I guess you'd say. It, they didn't get in, but there were Russian IP addresses that were trying to access our voter file, which is the list that everyone's name is on. We have no idea what they intended by that, but we certainly have done a lot since that time to shore up all our cyber defenses. And hopefully we won't have anything like a ransomware attack in any of the towns. That would be very, very serious. Uh, we're, like I say, we're a lot more prepared. We've done a lot of training with local officials. So I'm hopeful that we can respond if something like that does happen. You mentioned a hotline for residents, voters to call if they see any issues. What is that hotline number? Uh, it's uh, 8601-SEEK-INFO, uh, S-E-E-C-I-N-F-O. Um, that is, um, uh, I, I can't remember the actual numbers, so maybe you can, uh, we'll look it up for a in a few minutes, but uh, that is where you call. Uh, and you can see it also on our website, myvote.ct.gov. And if you go there, that will be listed there as well. And you can also, I always encourage people to go to the website, even today, just to make sure you know where your polling place is and that you are properly registered and so forth. You know, you never know. Uh, sometimes there are glitches. But if you go to that same website, myvote.ct.gov, and you go forward slash lookup, you can look up your name and see what's going on with your registration. Mm. 
And we'll be sure to tweet out that number, that hotline number that Secretary Merrill has just mentioned. You can join our conversation. We want to hear how voting's going for you, especially if you've chosen to vote in person today. 888-720-9677. Eric's calling in from Hartford. Eric, I understand you're a first-time voter. Tell us uh, what it was like for you. Yeah, I'm a first-time voter in Connecticut. Um, uh, so I literally have probably the shortest commute to my polling place of any of your listeners. I walk down the steps of my apartment, and uh, right next door is my polling place. So, um, But at 6 o'clock, there were already lines stretched around the parking lot, and um, there were some irregularities. One of the machines that was receiving the ballots um, inside was not working initially, um, but by the time I got there, it's, they seem to have worked that out. So, And which polling location, Eric? Sorry, uh, South Whitney Street in Hartford. All right, Eric. Well, thank you for calling in. So it sounds like the issue with the machine, uh, the tabulator, is, that, is it called the tabulator, uh, Secretary Merrill, where the ballot is fed into? Yes, the tabulator. We've had them around now for almost 20 years. They're still performing. <laughs> They're basically a scanner. Um And that's how we record the votes. And I always like to tell people they are not connected to the Internet in any way, shape or form. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about that part of things or your ballot getting compromised. Lisa is calling in from Middletown. Lisa, uh, tell us uh, what you've been seeing. Hi. Yeah, I was poll standing from 6 to 9 a.m. at 6 o'clock. The line already wrapped around the school. Uh, Some people waited for up to an hour. uh, But by now... The uh, the rush is over and people are in and out very quickly. I saw when the line was long, some people let uh, elderly or disabled people cut them in line. Uh, it was really sweet. Things are really good this morning. Well, that's good to hear, Elisa. Again, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I have to ask, Secretary Merrill, we've been focusing on the voting experience, but we know a record number of absentee ballots have been returned to uh, registrars. And so talk us through that process. When does counting begin? Uh, Well, most of those absentee ballots have probably already arrived. Uh, Many people dropped them off in the ballot boxes. And by the way, you can still drop that absentee ballot off in a ballot box and mostly in front of town hall uh, up through eight o'clock tonight. So I know there were people that got absentee ballots and they weren't sure yet if they were going to go in person to the polls. Uh, You can still change your mind and you can file that absentee ballot. Um, We start counting, or started counting, at 6 a.m. this morning, all those absentee ballots that came in uh, up till now. But any absentee ballot that arrives in in the ballot box or through the mail today will not be counted until after 8 o'clock tonight. And there's a very good reason for that, uh, because... If, if it came in during the day and someone also voted in person, you don't want to allow that possibility of someone voting twice, even by accident. So if, if we uh, wait till at eight o'clock, we compare uh, the ballots, uh, the absentee ballots with the people who have come in in person, and then we discard those at someone if someone has already voted. But that will take some time. And again, with this volume of absentee ballots, and I'm not sure how many will come in today during the day, I imagine quite still quite a few out there. Uh, that will take some time and you, you really can't start till eight o'clock. Uh, the rest of them, probably many of them will be counted during the day. 
Leanna's calling in from Kent. Leanna, what's your question? Oh, hi. Uh, good morning. Um, I have a question about ballot curing. Um, I know I voted by absentee, and then I wonder, you know, if I made a mistake somehow, will my town uh, clerk notify me that there's a problem with my ballot and allow me the opportunity to come in and correct it? Um, we do not have a process for ballot curing in Connecticut, and that's because we don't count ballots until election day. And sometimes it's difficult to track people down at that point. It would be even if we could. Uh, this year, there was a, some change to that. If your town was one that started uh, opening the outer envelopes uh, Friday night or over the weekend, which we allowed uh, this year because of the huge volume we're getting of absentee ballots, uh, they were allowed, you know, they were told they had to do this uh, openly, publicly, and if there were ballots that were uh, that were missing a signature, uh, that that person could be notified by someone in the room or by the town clerk if they had the time and knew the, the phone number. Frequently, it's hard to track people down. We may not have uh, their email or phone number, but uh, they do make an attempt to find people and let them know. The only thing that really can be fixed is if you don't have the only reason you'd be rejected is if you don't have a signature. Uh, really, everything else uh, is probably not a problem. Now, obviously, if you stuck your ballot in the outer envelope without an inner envelope, that could not be counted because we wouldn't know who it came from, really. Uh, so that, you know, there are other kinds of problems like that. Honestly, we have had very little of that over the years uh, in terms of ballots that have not been counted. It's usually well below half of 1%. Uh, I, maybe this year there'll be more of that because we have so many more absentee ballots by a factor of 10. Uh, and also, you know, people haven't done it before. We do the best we can to let people know, but not on election day. It's really too late. So just to clarify, you said of the towns that opted to uh, start opening the, the outer envelopes and absentee ballots, uh, I think, was it Saturday, uh, that they if they would be able, if they had uh, the ability to track down a voter if there was some issue, if they forgot to sign? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. But uh, at that point, because the ballot has been rejected, that person would just have the opportunity to come in and vote in person uh, because they would be deemed not to have voted. So because this year for the first time, they're required to call out the name of the person on the ballot that's being rejected, we thought it was kind of ridiculous not to be able to try to find that person or if someone's in the audience who knows, because there are people watching this opening process, they can let that person know as well. Uh, but we've never had that process before. So that's the only exception to being able to quote, cure a ballot. And even that is not really curing your absentee ballot. We don't allow people to come in and let's say, sign the same ballot on the, on the spot. Their option would be go vote in person because they have not voted yet. Are you worried at all about any uh, court challenges after the election? We're seeing that in other states related to uh, early voting or absentee ballots. If some town officials were able to uh, reach back out to voters, but others did not uh, get that um, extended to them, issues about um, you know votes being invalidated, Secretary Merrill? Uh, it's possible. Uh, there was no requirement 
for a town to open uh, envelopes early. And the only purpose of that was really to facilitate the opening of ballots. So I would imagine most towns that are doing that, and I think there are about 40 out of the 169 towns that are opening those early. Um, it's really to facilitate the process. And I would imagine it's mostly the larger cities and towns. I haven't really looked at the list, but yeah, there could be a, a an inequity there, I, I don't know. Uh, and there might be a challenge someplace where if there's a close race, I would imagine a, like a local close race. Yeah, it's possible. I wanna fit one more call in before Secretary Merrill uh, needs to go. Richard's calling in from Woodbury. Richard, what's your question? Hi, um, it's not like we um, are just discovering today that there are long lines at polling places. We've known this for decades and I've always been curious uh, who is it or what is it that makes whatever decisions that result in long lines or shorter lines? I mean, can't we have more polling places? Can't we have more machines? Can't we have, uh, you know, an extra day or two to, to vote in person? Oh, that's such a great question. I love that question because I've been trying to get the uh, early voting passed in this state for at least a decade. And probably longer. Um, it has been uh, that we are now one of only, I think, eight states left that don't have some other days of voting. And the answer to your question is really, it is a local decision. Towns pay most of the expenses for elections. And uh, my job at the state level is just to make sure that we have a baseline of uh, following the laws, but there is no specific law about how many polling places you need to have per so many people, for example. Uh, and sometimes it wouldn't probably make sense to have a common number because, you know, there are various sizes of towns, uh, you know, arrangements for polling places. But it is, it's frustrating only because the other problem is it's only once every four years that we get a huge turnout like this. And this is extraordinary. Uh, so it's very difficult to plan for these things. You've seen in other states, even where they have early voting, all of a sudden people were so excited about voting, there were long lines for early voting. And so it's really, I, speaking as someone who tries to figure all this out, especially this year with COVID and all the options that people have for voting, such as the absentee ballots, it was really difficult for us to figure out well, do we plan that everybody's going to come uh, with absentee ballots? Do we plan that everybody doesn't want to use the absentee ballots and will show up at the polling places? So um, bottom line is we tried to plan for both. We did not allow people to collapse polling places in their towns. Many of them wanted to make it even leaner in terms of polling places. Uh, we did not allow that because we saw in other states where that created huge backlogs. For example, in Milwaukee earlier this year, Atlanta, Kentucky. Uh, so in spite of that, there are still lines and it's difficult to plan, I guess is what I would say. I would love to see us do early voting and no fault absentee balloting in this state because I think it's a much easier way of uh, allowing people to vote and giving people more options. Well, let's hope that comes up uh, when the legislature meets in their regular session come January. Denise Merrill, again, is Connecticut Secretary of the State. I'll talk with you tonight during Connecticut Public's election night special starting at 6. Uh, thank you so much, Secretary Merrill, for your time. Thank you, Lucy. Nice to be here.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we're going to continue to take your calls, and we'll hear from Connecticut Public Radio's Frankie Graziano. Again, you can join us at 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's election day. Did you decide to vote in person? How did it go? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joellen writes, I was in my polling line one hour, and the line was equally as long when I finished at 7 a.m. I was overwhelmed with emotion at the site. Again, you can join us. Tell us what it was like to vote in this historic election. Uh, before we hear from Connecticut Public Radio reporter Frankie Graziano. I want to welcome to the show Ines, uh, who's calling in. I believe this is your first time voting. Ines, welcome to where we live. Thank you. Yes, it is my first time voting this year. So uh, tell us uh, what it was like and um, just how you prepared. I actually voted by mail this year because um, I have been a German citizen and I voted by mail in the German election for the last 19 years since I moved here. So um, it was a pretty much a no-brainer for me to vote by mail this year for the American election, too. Mm. What does it mean for you uh, to have a chance uh, to vote uh, for the first time in this country as an American citizen, Ines? Um, it, I think it was a very important step for me to finally be able to vote, especially this year. Um, with all that's been going on, um, I've kind of been always pushing it a little bit um, off to the side and and last year, I finally decided to um, go for it and become an American citizen so I could actually vote this year um, because uh, I felt like the current administration wasn't doing enough for people that were not American citizens that were living here. And I kind of wanted to have a say in it. Well, thank you, Inez, uh, for calling in, letting us know uh, what it was like for you to vote for the first time as an American citizen. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Inez. Thank you. Now, I want to go to Connecticut Public Radio's Frankie Graziano, who was up early at a polling site here in Connecticut. Frankie, welcome to the show. Lucy, it is so good to hear your voice. <laughs> well, it's good to hear you too, Frankie. So where did you where did you start first? I'm in Mansfield at the community center here. About 400 people or so have voted here thus far today. They said uh, I got here at 635, so I was a little late, but they said that there was a little bit of a line at the top. Uh, after that, nothing, nothing doing. It's been pretty smooth here. I think the worst thing that happened was somebody might have wet their ballot by accident. It jammed up, but then they were able to get it through. So I think that's the worst thing that happened here. Then things are going pretty well here in Mansfield. You said Mansfield. So do a lot of UConn students vote at that location, Frankie? Ah, it's funny you ask that because we were talking in the lead up to, I was talking in the lead up to some of the registrars here, the two, uh, the Democrat and the Republican registrar. And they didn't expect that high of a UConn turnout. My, how many UConn students, both that live on campus and off campus, have come here today. And that distinction is important because a lot of the people that had uh, signed up for absentee ballots were town residents of Mansfield, not necessarily UConn residents uh, of Mansfield that were off campus. So they still didn't expect that many people to come to the polls. They didn't expect that many UConn students to come to the polls. But the registrar and grenadier that I spoke to today, we were live on Facebook with her as well. Uh, she told us 
turnout is high today, and they're expecting to exceed the 2016 total. Now, Frankie, when you talk to voters, what's their primary motivation to get out to uh, to vote today? Got to get here, right? And and that's surprising to me because I didn't expect turnout to be that high among uh, with COVID-19 in the situation. And we're talking about social distancing here and we're seeing all the signs here and things of that nature. But nonetheless, people are here and that's because they want to make sure that their vote counts. That's the best way. Uh, one person I talked to, his name was Kyle. You hear from him on the special tonight that you'll be hosting. Uh, Kyle said that it's his first time voting today. Kyle Chernoff, he had to come here. He was worried about voter suppression, and that's why he was able to come to the polls. A lot of the people that we talked to here today, including a couple that had been together for, has been together for 60 years, when they were 21, they got together. They said they were here even amidst COVID because they want to make sure their vote counts. And they're talking about an administration change, but it's just nice to talk to voters. It's nice to talk to people because we normally don't get to do that in a pandemic in person. Well, Frankie, uh, hold the line uh, right now. I want to take a quick call from Carrie in New London. Carrie, uh, what was it like for you voting down there? Hi. So I was I, I applied for an absentee ballot in case I was sick and wasn't able to go to the polls, but I really wanted to vote in person. So I went today and it was a little confusing because um, New London High School is under construction. So the usual spot we go in was blocked. So everybody was a little confused. Finally got inside. The line wasn't that bad. And I was at the door right before you check in. And the man next to me started coughing. And I just was like so nervous and looking at the people around me. And we're all like, oh, no, you know. So it's still I kind of wish now I voted absentee. So you wish you had voted absentee so you didn't have that anxiety being at the polls today, Carrie? Yes. Well, thank you for calling in. Frankie, I thought that was interesting uh, to hear from Carrie because uh, so many people were weighing that, right? Like, do I want to vote in this this historic election in person or do I want to make sure I don't know what the, the positivity rate is going to look like in our state? I want to keep my family safe, myself safe. Maybe I should vote absentee. I get a little relief hearing that anecdote from Carrie because I had to cough earlier while I was uh, while I was around some folks recording and I held it in because you imagine with COVID-19 going on and all of the tension, you imagine people are nervous, but I'm not getting that vibe here in Mansfield because maybe because while there's a steady stream of people coming here, there haven't been lines. Um, everybody that comes through tells me that it was smooth. It was quick. There's hand sanitizing stations here, as I'm sure there are at a lot of locations across the state. Um, also talked to a, a Trump voter who was telling us that COVID-19 was here to stay and it's something we're going to have to deal with forever. He pulled out hand sanitizer out of his pocket and told me that these are the things you got to do to take care of yourself, even if the disease does, uh, does tend to stick with us. So nonetheless, uh, here are people in Mansfield telling us pretty smooth, not worried about COVID at the polls. Well, thank you, Frankie Graziano, Connecticut Public Radio reporter, traveling all around the state today to talk to voters, starting with Mansfield, Connecticut. Where are you headed next, Frankie? I'm going to New Haven and then Hartford, and I get to get to see you from afar. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk with you, Frankie, again later today. Frankie Graziano, thank you. You as well. Have a great day. Now, you can join our conversation here on Where We Live. Again, the number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Artie's calling in from Hartford. Artie, uh, where did you vote? 
Hi. So I actually voted absentee. Um, I live in Massachusetts, and I was able to vote um, via the mail. And tell me about uh, you and uh, your peers. Uh, what are you looking forward to most uh, this election that brought you out to vote, whether absentee or in person? Right. Well, I think it's really inspiring that we are the largest generation of voters and um, we're just ready to take on, you know, this is our future and uh, it's our voice. It's our chance to dismantle the white supremacy we have going on um, in the highest power. And there's so many reasons to vote. So I think we're all pretty excited, definitely very nervous. Um, but I know that many of us will be voting down at our local polling station um, and also just as many have been voting absentee. Well, thank you, Artie, for calling in. I want to welcome to the show now on Zoom with us Jennifer Hopper, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So we just heard from a Trinity student. Uh, we heard from Frankie reporting up in Mansfield where uh, UConn uh, students uh, were vote, vote, voting, uh, able to vote, but also uh, many of them voting absentee. When we think about this record turnout, I believe 97 million people in this country have already voted before today, before Election Day. Uh, what's bringing them out to vote? Uh, it's These are unprecedented numbers. Uh, what seems to be bringing them out to vote is President Trump, uh, that this election has really centered on the past four years. For some people that are on part of President Trump's Republican base, uh, it's enthusiasm for four more years to continue uh, what the Trump administration has been doing. And on the Democratic side and for some independents, it's really a vote cast against the president. You see a lot of enthusiasm uh, in, in that range. What about the, the youth uh, turnout or young people when we hear from Artie and others? Uh, there's a lot every every election we hear that uh, young people are going to turn out and it doesn't always uh, end up that way. Is it going to be different this year, Jennifer? What are you seeing and hearing? I think it's very possible. The early voting numbers were fairly strong for younger voters. Uh, it does seem that there's an extraordinary amount of get out the vote efforts uh, on behalf of all political actors. And a lot of them are aimed specifically at younger people. There are 25 million people who have voted in this election cycle just so far in early voting who did not vote in 2016. And a sizable chunk of those are people who have now aged into the electorate. Kurt's calling in from Newington. Uh, Kurt, what did you see voting today? Oh, good morning. Yeah, I was at the polls for 6 a.m., and the line was indeed probably 200 yards long at my polling place. However, uh, I had forgotten my mask, so I went home and decided to come back later. And by 8 a.m., the line was very short. I was in and out in 10, 15 minutes. And I'd hate to see people become discouraged about you know, by hearing from the very long lines, is that I think that was just a product of people that were hurrying to vote before they went to work. Well, thank you, Kurt, uh, for telling us uh, what you uh, saw and, uh, and uh, at Newington and, of course, going home and getting your mask. That's a good thing. I do believe, uh, though, that election officials around the state at your polling location, they do have extra masks for people uh, to help you save that trip going back home. Uh, Jennifer Hopper, I wanted to go back to you because we're hearing about a lot of in-person accounts of what it was like to vote today. But we know so many people have voted absentee or early voting in many states. And so what does that mean? mean for uh, come eight o'clock uh, tonight as people wait for results? 
right? So this election cycle, we're really getting a lesson in how every individual state's laws about how to count ballots and when to count them really vary. Uh, so it depends on what states that we're talking about. There are some states like Florida that have a lot of early voting and they are able to count and process their ballots before election day. So when the polls close in Florida, we should get a good sense of what the final results are there. They'll be able to tabulate both those early votes and then the people who voted on election day. When it comes to a state like Pennsylvania, that is a very different story. So we will probably get results from people who voted in person in Pennsylvania first, and then they are not able to count their votes until election day, the, the early votes that came in. And so that's one of the reasons why the vote in Pennsylvania may carry on for several days. Although we don't know the exact results of the early voting in any of the states, we do have some information about the partisanship of the people who voted and Democrats were more likely to vote early. And so you could see swings back and forth from state to state, depending on how they report the results and when they count the votes. Now, we've certainly heard rhetoric from uh, the president about uh, people voting before Election Day, um, talking about uh, fraud. Is it interesting to you, Jennifer, that despite that rhetoric, people still showed up uh, for early voting? They still believed in the process to mail in or to drop off their absentee ballot? Yes, incredibly important. And there's certainly an extent to which for critics of the president, those kinds of statements can be even more motivating uh, to cast your vote, to cast your early vote, uh, to go out as soon as you can uh, in order to be able to vote. Uh, the Trump campaign and the president himself have really forecast that they do intend to legally challenge uh, some of these ballots, some of the ballots that come in after election day, but that were cast legally prior to the election taking place and how close the election results are, what things look like later tonight will probably, uh, that will be a good indication about whether or not there's any sort of legal path forward for the Trump campaign in that vein. Now, many of us remember the election in 2000. Some of us may not. And so remind us, uh, you know, how long uh, do officials around this country have uh, to figure out uh, the, the, the count uh, before uh, by the Constitution? Yeah, again, it, um, it varies from state to state how long they have to count the ballots uh, and what that process is like about certifying the votes. But typically, votes are not certified for a long period of time, actually making sure that all the votes are can, can take several days. It can take weeks. The official electoral college vote takes place in December. And as we know, it's the electoral college vote that is decisive for uh, for winning the presidency. Uh, the 2000 election could potentially be a lesson for this election if there are legal battles over which votes to count in the wake of election day or what's the standard for determining whether we should have a recount in particular parts of the country. Uh, and that was something that dragged on for, for several weeks. Both the Bush and Gore teams in that instance really girded up their, their legal teams, were involved in this uh, significant amounts of litigation there. And that's something that we also see the Trump and the Biden campaigns gearing up for. Uh, formidable legal teams. Biden has been raising money for legal purposes uh, for uh, to fight these kinds of challenges to particular votes. You're hearing Jennifer Hopper here on Where We Live. She's Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University as we talk with her about Election Day uh, here on Where We Live. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tonight, join Connecticut Public for an election night special. My colleague John Henry Smith and I will talk with reporters from WNPR and Hearst, Connecticut, starting at 6 tonight on CPTV, Connecticut Public Radio, and streaming at ctpublic.org. Now, my guest today on Zoom is Jennifer Hopper, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. I wanted to take one more call. Jennifer from Guilford, are you still there? Uh, Jennifer from Guilford, yes, I am. <laughs> Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Tell us what it was like voting today. Well, I got to say, I have been waiting for this day to vote for four years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was so excited to go and vote in person. And um, the uh, there was no line. And I was able to just go right in and come back out. The difference was, you know, the, the pens, you you know, they didn't want to reuse the pens, which is fine. And uh, um, they had a lot of stickers out, not just the I voted today, which I always wear very proudly. They had a whole array of the women's suffrages. And um, so that was just very exciting. I love voting, and it was just so great to get out there and vote. And my dad, who's 93, did his mail-in vote, and so I got a sticker for him so he can wear that proudly that I voted today, even though he doesn't go anywhere. And (laughs) my son, who is 19, um, is voting today for the very first time. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for calling in, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer Hopper from Southern Connecticut State University. We're hearing uh, so far not a lot of issues, uh, people being able to vote in and out uh, pretty quickly despite lines. Uh, But I wanted to ask you, this is not the case in in all states, and people have been worried about voter intimidation. What will you be watching for today? Uh, You know, when we talk about long lines to vote today, in some cases, that's because of the unusual circumstances, some of the pandemic safety protocols uh, that Secretary Merrill was talking about earlier, that that's happening around the country. But one of the things that we look for um, when these lines may be indicators of turning off voters or voter suppression uh, is when those lines disproportionately appear in marginalized communities or area, low-income communities, communities of color. Uh, there was a study in 2016 that found that uh, people in Black neighborhoods, voters in Black neighborhoods, waited 29% longer to vote than white uh, voters in white neighborhoods. So we look for some of that disproportionate impact then of those kinds of, of long lines. Mm. And we keep talking about record turnout, which is a great thing. But uh, realistically, uh, Jennifer, uh, our system isn't set up for this kind of turnout. No, it is not. Uh, There are, by some estimates, uh, we might see 65 percent of the voting eligible public turning out this election cycle. Just by way of comparison, in 2016, it was 60 percent of the electorate, and that was fairly high. Uh, So we are... if. The system would not be able to handle 80, 90 percent, even 65 percent might really strain us. The one thing is that we have seen states try to implement policies that are going to make this a little bit easier. Uh, Having early voting in more states, allowing for mail-in voting, that's something that will probably change elections forever going forward uh, once people realize the kind of convenience of that. And we may see even more states adopt it. And that may lessen then some of the crush of election day voting that so many people, that 97 million plus people have already cast their votes. 
We know there's so many important local elections happening here in Connecticut, the General Assembly, of course, our congressional districts, but everyone is also paying attention uh, to the big one, and that is the race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Right now, uh, Joe Biden's favored to win the election, but we know things could change, uh, Jennifer, uh, if, if 2016 is any indication. Yes, people are very cautious in their predictions, uh, and in large part, that is because of what happened in 2016. Uh, from an objective standpoint, things do look good for Biden. Uh, they look good for him in swing votes, uh, but it took a small polling error in 2016 for things to have looked good for Hillary Clinton and then go in Donald Trump's direction instead throwing that election to him. Uh, and so we're always kind of cautious about interpreting these results. Uh, once we see tonight the way that some of the states with polls that closed relatively early, the way that Georgia looks, the way that Florida looks, I think we'll get more of an indication about whether or not we'll have a winner on the sooner side or whether it might take counting all of these votes, particularly in a state like Pennsylvania, making sure that all of those are tabulated before a winner can be officially declared. So it sounds like it's going to be a long week. Uh, Jennifer Hopper, again, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Happy Election Day. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff on the phones. Stay with Connecticut Public Radio all day and night as we bring you coverage from our local team and national public radio. And tonight at 6, join me for an election night special on CPTV, Connecticut Public Radio, and streaming at ctpublic.org. <laughs>